With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Yes, yes, yes. We are back. We are back again on the Rabbit Hole Podcast. This is Shane here, and I am your host today. Today we have another guest that um, you all will be interested in. Um, We're... um, Waiting for him to join us. Um, the way that our setup is, uh, we are using Blog Talk Radio as a medium to host our podcast. Um, and of course, this being the weekend, we're trying to uh, schedule around everyone's availability. Um, a lot of my guests, you know, they have very busy lives. You know, they, um, you know, they're like the rest of us. Our topic today actually is mentoring and coaching, mentorships. And what mentorship actually means to you, or mentoring, or coaching. The guest that we have coming in today, he's a psychologist. And this person, um, I actually met him many years ago as I was on my journey, on my path of uh, obtaining my education. Um, I, at the time, everybody that's within my circle, anybody that uh, knows me, understands and under has an idea of this person i always tell this story i've probably told it probably a million times a thousand times before and really um when it comes to my academia background he was the one that really shifted my thinking and and really shifted my path and i say that and what i mean by that is at the time when i was in in community college um, I was working a full-time job at a technology company that technology company they actually broadcasted stock market data and I was a technical services representative I'll sit back with my earphones on in front of my computer and folks will call in and be like you know what I don't have I forgot my password, Um, I'm not getting my signal, I'm not getting my uh, stock market data, I'm not getting the reports that I subscribe to, Um, I'm having, you know, how do I set this up? And I think at the time, the internet uh, became like MarketWatch, when MarketWatch was first launched. CNBC or CBS MarketWatch was just launched when the internet started bubbling up a little bit, right? So anyways, I had this full-time job, and I was a technical support representative, maybe level one or two or something like that. But I noticed a lot of my friends and colleagues and peers around me who held the same type of position uh, were being promoted into network operations, uh, sales department, uh, marketing, um, moving into supervisor-type positions. And you know what? I was like, you know what? My call stats, they were always high. Always got good feedback and got good reviews from the callers that I assisted. But I always was wondering, like, you know what? Why are they getting promoted instead of me? 
So what I decided on doing was I always wanted to go back to school, but I wasn't really sure on what I wanted to study. So as a young man, I may have probably been 21, 22, maybe a little, I think maybe even 20 to be uh, exact. Maybe I was 20, 21. So I decided on going back to school right after high school. I started community college, community college of San Francisco. I went there, and that at that time when I first started, I wanted to become a nutritionist. So I took a lot of health classes. I took, you know, your general education, your math, your English. But, you know, at that early age and without any type of support, basically, you know, did the bare minimum, had C's, and I'm sure probably a lot of those classes had some D's and maybe even failed them, um, in addition to trying to work at, at that time and having a kid. So I was kind of thrust out into the world dealing with some very real situations, some very real issues. Um, the issues being, um, you know, lack of job experience, lack of education, having a kid at a very young age, even though right now I feel thoroughly blessed to have had the kid. At that time, the struggle was real. Taking it back, I had some prior uh, college experience. I didn't really succeed. Although I did capture a few units, it wasn't enough to really get me to the next step or into the university. So fast forward to my technology job. Uh, I've always been very good with my hands and seeing things and duplicating them and learning on a fly. I'm a visual learner. Um, so Technology and things like that came very easily to me. It still does. Um, I, I still enjoy fiddling around with electronics, with anything that has to do with technology, um, even with this podcast and, you know, setting up the equipment, um, learning to work within Logic Pro, a Apple application, um, dealing with these microphones, dealing with these interfaces and cables and all of this good things, you know what, I, I, I can stay up all night every day and do this kind of stuff. So at that time, I was in technology as a technical support representative. The money was fine uh, for a kid my age. I had a nice apartment. Um, I was taking care of the kid. I was had a, a real, real nice car, and I look even back on that situation, um, it was probably a very bad decision. I actually still have that car, a uh, Z28 Camaro. Um, it's in the garage right now. I haven't been driven for some years. It runs like a champ. I, I don't think I could put it besides any of the newer cars today, like any of the newer uh, Mustangs or Camaros, Z28 Camaros, because those engines they have on those cars are souped up and they are ready to go. So, um, it, but it still runs. It runs very good. The car is actually pretty clean. The engine is, I had it rebuilt maybe 50,000 miles ago when I burnt out the engine. Um, but anyways, that's another story. So I decided at that time that I wanted to do something to really prepare myself and learn something new because all I did was go to work, take care of the kid on the weekends, and I had uh, friends, and all we would do every night was just hang out, hang out, watch TV, go out to clubs. You know how it is for the younger generations. We're, we're basically living it up. 
But it got to the point where my conscience started messing with me. What do I do next? What do I do next? So I decided at the time I was living in uh, the small city of Richmond, California, um, off a hilltop. And there was a college, Contra Costa College, that was maybe two, three miles away from my apartment. So I decided on taking classes. And even back then, a lot of you are going to hear this and you're going to be shocked. At that point in time, it was only $13 per unit. So, I mean, you take, uh, you know, two, three classes. That's like, you know, for one class, I think each class is like three units. So that's basically nine thirty-nine bucks. You go ahead and take two classes. That's like $78. So I always figured that, you know what, it's cheap to go to school. Let me just go go in here and learn some things that I like. So I took all of the classes. I took any class that had African-American studies in it, I was in that class. I took all those classes. And I really didn't have a rhyme or reason for taking those classes other than I just wanted to occupy my mind with new thoughts, new information, new ways of thinking, and really, you know, just learn something new. I didn't really, I wasn't on a path of, um, you know, figuring out what the next move was going to be, like if I was going to actually get a degree or not. Uh, then I started taking some desktop publishing classes, um, desktop video, uh, video production type courses. So I took all of these classes. I met this, this teacher, or I believe at the time he was an advisor. I used to see him the hallways or see him in the cafeteria or in the library. All right, so I always see him in passing. He'll see, you know, how you doing, you know, what's going on with, uh, you know, your classes. How's your homework coming? It was always on the academic school level. How's, how's it going? So one day, it was in the evening, I always took night classes. Uh, one, one thing about me and how I've actually uh, gone through uh, my academic career um, is I've always taken night classes. I work during the day and then at night take my courses. So this one night, I remember, we were in the, the, the building where the counselor's offices were. So we were along this long hallway. said to me, Shane, how's it going, man? I was like, I'm all right. Um, I, I believe it was even after a class. So it was probably late night, maybe 8, 9 o'clock at night. He was like, uh, you know what, I, I've been seeing you here for like the last year or so. You always look very busy. You're, you're always going to class. And I see that you're pretty serious about this. And I said, you know what, I, I, am, I am pretty serious. I, I just like taking classes. And he was like, well, what's, what's your purpose? What's your next step? And I basically said, well, you know what, I'm not sure because right now I work full time. I'm making good money, and if I reflect back on that point and period of my life, I was probably making maybe $25 an hour, maybe, I I think, maybe $40,000 a year. So at that time, for a young man, that was a whole lot of money. So in my mind, I was doing great. After, uh, so I explained this all to him. He was like, you know what, this gentleman at the time, he said, come into my office, and let me see what you have going on. So I was like, uh, okay, I have some time. I'm going home anyways, right? So we went ahead and pulled up all of my classes. And he said, you know what? 
man, you've taken a lot of classes here. I was like, I, I know. I just take them because I just want to kill time. I don't, I don't want to just party all the time and just be at home doing nothing. He's like, you know what? I, I, really, I really like that, man. But did you know that if you can take this probably like another 20, 40 more units, I'm not sure what the number was, that you can actually go into the university. At that point in time, folks, I had no idea that that was even possible for myself because all I was doing was just trying to kill time, take some classes, that's it. But he's like, no, seriously, what I can do for you, I can, one, introduce you to my guy, one of the counselors. He will help you out. And number two, I can go ahead and set you up on this path to success to get you to the next level. Like I said, folks, up until that time, I was clueless and aimless, and he just opened up a whole new vision for me at that point in time. In addition, he's like, you know what? I know of this program at Cal State Hayward. It's called the PACE program, and it was basically a liberal studies program for working professionals. He's like, I, I know the people up there. They got this great program. All you have to do, Shane, is finish up these 25, 30 Units. I don't know what it was, but it was something very small, something very attainable. I'm saying that to say our show today is all about mentors, mentorships, coaching. And I have the perfect person for, to discuss all of that with us today. His name is Dr. Did you hear me? Dr. Frank Davis, a psychologist, San Francisco, Oakland, Bay Area. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to go ahead and bring them on the line, and we're going to go ahead and continue this conversation about mentoring, coaching, get some insight from Dr. Davis of his background, of what he's currently working on, and what the future of psychology. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring in Dr. Frank Davis. Oh, good afternoon. How are you doing, Shane? I'm doing well. Today's topic, which is mentoring and coaching, and really give folks some context with our relationship, which which in my mind, it it blows my mind to this day um, of how uh, we've actually connected. And everybody that I know, my wife, all of my closest friends, even my six-year-olds, Whenever I talk to him about education and my inspiration and just this, this a friend, this, uh, your name always comes up, man, because at this point in my academia career, you are basically the person that led me to where I am today. I don't know if you heard all of what I was saying, but I was mm-hmm. giving, I heard some of it. Okay, I was giving the listeners, uh, you know, how I met you. I don't know if you can recall. Yeah, we, we kind of we, we kind of ran into each other. It was kind of like destiny, though. That's the way I really look at it. We uh, were kind of walking through the hallways. You might have been waiting in line to get some transcripts, and then boom, we ran into each other. And I remember you were you because you always worked, and yes. what impressed me right away, you were like, hey, you know. Um, can I can I pull you aside? And I was like, you know what? This stuff. It was something about you. Like I can't. I might have been it, it, going to do something else, but I was like, I have to give him this guy. There's something about him that's special or about this moment. Yes. I, let me let me let me connect. And then 
we might have met once, but I remember because you worked in the evening, I was like, well, I'm going to send you to a, I'm going to go over your transcripts and we tell you what you need. And you didn't need yes. that much, like, like you said. And that, I remember saying, hey, keep in touch with me. Yes. Because you work at, because you work in the daytime, I'm going I'm to refer you to another academic counselor who I know will take care of you. But you and I still, for the nitty-gritty stuff, like making sure you transfer, we still talk either over the phone yes. or email. You know, we just kept that connection, you know. We did. We did. And and it, it was not only the connection, but it was also that continued support. I believe mm-hmm. even when I transferred from Contra Costa College into Cal State East Bay, that they now call it, you wrote a recommendation for me then. Oh, that's right. Yes, sir, you did. And then years later, after I graduated from Cal State East Bay, I went ahead and started the uh, communications uh, program uh, to uh, get my master's degree. You know what? You wrote that reference for me again. I will always see you out in the community. You'll always be like, hey, Shane, how's it going, man? You know, you still, you know, what's going on with work? How's school going? I'm doing this with my education. Continue to do what you're doing, man. You can do it. Yep. So, right. um, so I, I wanted to give everybody that, con- um, that, that, that context of our relationship. And like you said, it was, it was destiny. It, w- it was meant to be. And I know I've told you this before, and I'll tell you it again. Thank you for taking that time out of your day because it was in a hallway. We crossed each other's paths, and you did say, you know what? Come over here. Let me see what's going on with your situation. And, and, and you know what? And you offered, you, you gave me a new vision of where, it could, where I could actually go because up until that point, you probably didn't even know this for yourself. I had no idea. I, have no, I had no idea. It wasn't nowhere in my mind that I can even go to a university. I could actually be working on a master's degree at some point in the future. So yeah. thank you again for taking that You're time. And, and, that, and the crazy thing about it is you didn't even have to, but you did it because that's mm-hmm. the kind of person that you are. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Much appreciated. You're, you're very welcome, sir. So getting to you, and, and it's only right that I, I have you part of this, that I go ahead and honor you, that I, I, I recognize you with just the highest respect that I can give to any, any person. Let's talk about you and what you've been doing. I, I noticed over the last couple of years you've received your Ph.D. in psychology. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Which is extremely impressive. How? Yeah. Tell, tell us about that experience. When did you decide to get your Ph.D. in psychology? Oh, it's, oh wow. Let me go. So let me go back to when I was a student at Contra Costa College. Um, that was between 1991 and 1993, and I was fresh out of high school um, and a, a little lost. And uh, I ran across uh, similar. It's just the interesting part is it kind of things kind of happen in cycles and repeat themselves. Um, I played basketball and, and one of my dear friends, mentors and coaches, his name is Kenzie Brown. We talk pretty much once a week, even from since 1993 we, till now we still have conversations and we've just kind of cultivated our relationship. He knew I was lost, knew I had potential, and was like, look, uh, I want you to go work in student services. Why don't you just, if, you know, you, you seem like a, you're a good listener. You help a lot of people, I noticed. 
Um, on the court, you know, a lot of your teammates kind of come to you for direction in stressful situations. So he kind of saw that in practice and in games. He said, I think you can apply those skills outside of sports and, and maybe working for the college. So then he, he introduced me to one of the, the deans at the time, the deans of the college, named is Tim Clout, another mentor who I still keep in touch with, not as as as, as much as with uh, my, my the previous mentor, but about once every couple of months. And he had his PhD in anthropology. And right off the bat, when he started talking to me, he was like, he's like yeah, I noticed that you do work well with people and communicate well. He said, you can go get a Ph.D. It wow. was like foreign language, foreign language to me, you know. Yes. And so, um, but he, he, he planted, as, as they say, he planted a seed, you know, because at the time, my father, had, you know, had a high school education and my mom just high school education with some some community college credits. But, you know, working class folks from, from South Berkeley, their parents came here from the South, you know, and so. There wasn't education was was an idea, but it wasn't. It was more like just work. We're working class, right. so we go out and get a job. You know, that was yes, the mentality. Yes. You know, so but the, he planted that seed. You know, and I I stayed with him. You know, for all the way up until my PhD, off and on. You know, and just kind of developed that mentor relationship along with my my other friend who was the the basketball coach. Um, he he stayed with me too, and just kind of they just kind of pushed me and watched me, you know, and a, a few other mentors along the way, but those two planted the seed, you know, those two, you know. So That's wonderful. Yeah. And let's just take a second, Dr. Davis, and recognize mm-hmm. them and tell them thank you, uh, Kenzie Brown and Ke- uh, Tim Cloud, for yes. you know, helping, yes. helping us along the way and being great mentors, man, because really – it's really about those folks. You know the new saying that's pretty popular today that 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 I keep uh, hearing over and over and over again is to each one teach one. And for yep. situations like that, it can be it could never be so true, right? Exactly. So, so yeah, for yep. first, definitely those gentlemen that seen something in you and like you seen something in us and just said, you know what? Although I'm busy, I'm dealing with a hundred million different things. Let me go ahead and just reach out and, you know, work with this young person. So continue your story. What I, yeah, well, you know, what I'm learning about that with mentorship is now that I'm, a, you know, a little older, and so the person who's receiving the mentorship gets something, and the person who's giving the mentorship gets something. It's definitely a two-way street. Yes, you know, win-win. And that's, that's what I learned is you, you get something out of helping. You get that feedback. It's 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 a two way street, you know, and so it boosts my self esteem when you thank me and recognize me in these kind of forums and situations. And it's the same thing with my mentor Tim and Kenzie. They both I know when I thank them or recognize them in any kind of situation it you know, it it boosts their self esteem. So it's definitely a two way street. You know, that's yes. the key with mentorship. Absolutely. So you 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 meant you had so when Tim was telling you, you know what, you are PhD material. Was your path from that point to now? Oh, got it. So I went to Contra Costa College from, like I said, 91 to 93. I might have taken a year off working, you know, odd jobs. I remember working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, you know, washing cars, you know, you know, all these little odd jobs working at the, used to be a, a store called uh, the Warehouse, a music store. I used to work yes. there and Blockbuster, all those kind of places. Uh, got the courage to go to Cal State uh, Hayward. Now it's called Cal State East Bay. 
Okay. And I went there from about, about 94 to 97. So I already had a mission. I'm going to get a degree in psychology. Yes. You know, and I still wasn't convinced. I was like, you know, PhD, mm, I don't think so. And so I was just at least get a bachelor's and go from there and see where it goes. I was, I was still interested in playing basketball. I, I played basketball at Cal State um, Hayward. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, graduated uh, there in 97. The basketball career stopped. And so then I was like, wow, what should I do? So I was getting a little lost again. I was like, I'm kind of still open. Basically, back to Tusker Costa College, talk with Kenzie and Tim. And the good thing is they both had very different perspectives. And I just kind of integrated, you know what I'm saying? And so uh, what I were their, feedback. What's that? I'm sorry, Dr. Davis. What were their perspectives? So Kenzie's perspective was like, hey, you know, um, his was more like emo- emotional. He would just know when I was down and kind of just pick me up. So it was interesting. So Kenzie is a man who's just now getting his bachelor's degree now. So wow. it was a different. It was a different kind of mentorship. It was just like, um, an, kind of a big brother, so to speak. Yes. He was about ten years my elder. So he he was just more like, look, I can see, hey, you, you've already surpassed me. I don't know what else I have to offer. And I used to always tell him, man, your love and your tutelage and your words of wisdom and kindness, that's what you're offering, you know. And so that was his perspective. It was always like a moral to his story. It was always um, a metaphor he would give me, you know, around, you know, getting through trials and tribulations or or getting through different kinds of uh, obstacles um, or kind of adverse situations. Whereas Tim was more like, hey, I, I've done this. I, I, I've walked the walk. I've, I've written a, a, a thesis and a dissertation. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've presented. I've taught at a university. You can do it. You're just like, you, 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 you know, you can go get a PhD with, with other young kids from Harvard or from wherever, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever school. Just because you came from Contra Costa College and went to Cal State East Bay doesn't mean you're not or you're, you're lesser than, you're not as smart as, as some of those folks. And so he and he would say that in, in a really real way because he still was teaching at a university with, you know, all these maybe more privileged or kind of, you know, students who had a really uh, strong academic profile. So he's yes. like, I know when someone has the knack, you've got the knack, and you'll, your book stuff will come once you just, it's just a habit. You have to develop a healthy habit of studying you know, at a certain time and, and checking in with with your teachers. He said, but you have the intangible. You, you've got that ability to listen, um, and that's going to take you uh, far away. Trust me on it, you know. And I, I just kind of started, you know, so he was like, you know what, why don't you go to JFK? You can still work at the college. Why don't right. you go to JFK University? At the time, it was in Arenda. It's in Pleasant Hill now. And it's a professional school that they offer a law degree. They offer um uh, a master's degree in psychology. He said, just go there because it's close and you can still work at the college. And I just okay. followed, that, I followed that advice to the T. And then a good friend of mine named Luis Morales, he's a, a kind of, he's more of a confidant and a peer. He's not a mentor, but we, we had a similar path. You know, he um, had gone to Contra Costa College. He had gone to Cal State East Bay a year before me and was okay. kind of just floundering. And he was like, let's do a buddy system. Let's go to to, to the JFK and let's take our classes together, every class, help each other, oh, boy. push each other. So that helps because I wasn't isolated, you know, being, you know, a man of color at a professional school, 
you know, there's a really small number of men of color in the mental health field anyway. So, you know, they're, you know, feeling insecure, isolated, you can't relate, all those things. It really helped Luis. He's an African-American, but he's Latino. So we had a lot of things in common. You know, he grew up in, he grew up in Richmond. I grew up in San Pablo and Pinot. So we, we, we had a shared experience. And that, that helped Dr. Masters. Luis said, hey, I'm going to stop. You know, I'm going to just, I'm going to get my master's. Once you have a master's degree, you can start working as a counselor at a community college. And That's so correct. He, he, he was working there and teaching. And then I was mostly doing academic counseling. And then, um, you know, Tim kept pushing me like, hey, I think you can do it. You know, just go through, you can have your master's and maybe sit out a couple of years and just work at a few community colleges, which I did. I worked at Merritt and at Contra Costa. And he's like, you know, get a good feel and see if you want to stop or keep going. You know, he's like, I want to push you, think about it. And I was like, okay. And I did like my work. And I was like, you know, something's still missing. Because with mm-hmm. academic counseling, there is some therapeutic components, but it's more it's an academic focus. Yes. And he's like, I told you, you know, Tim was like, I think you'd be better going, like, strictly in the clinical psychology. Uh, and I took, I took that big leap to another professional school called, it's actually called the California uh, School of Professional Psychology, a popular school in, in the Bay Area. It was in Alameda when I went there, but it moved, they moved to San Francisco. Interesting. And, um, yeah, and so that was from about 2000, that was a five-year process, about 2003 to 2008, almost, yeah, about 2007, 2008. So five years. Five years, yeah. It took me five years full-time, you know, working on the side, you know, meeting my fiance, cultivating that relationship, you know, thinking about marriage. You know, I had a lot on my plate. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tim kept pushing me. And, but, and by then I had, I had confidence and a lot of steam. So what okay. happened and what happens in a, in a lot of mentor relationships, I didn't, I didn't have to lean on him as much. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, hey, you know, there's other mentors who might know a little bit more than me in this area. And so he's like, you know, now we're, it's like, well, you, you just, yeah, I guess you're always going to be my mentee, but, you know, also you, you're going to surpass me in a certain way because his degree is in anthropology, mine is, is in clinical psychology. He's like, so there's going to be some things that you know that I don't know, you know. Kind of kind of transformed, you know what I'm saying? It, it was kind of almost difficult when it's someone you're used to coming to to give you um, advice, tutelage, who now is like, I, don't, I kind of don't know. What else I have to offer you? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, like a peer, right? He's basically like a your peer. peer because you built yourself up to his level, and now you guys are looking eye to eye. And you know what? He, he seems like a very rational, um, thoughtful person. He is like, you know what? You you've done it, grasshopper. I mean, right there, <laughs> there it is. Right there it is. Yeah. That's the metaphor you. I always use. I always use that in my practice. The you know the grasshopper metaphor. Or like when Luke, you know, when Luke Skywalker came back as a Jedi, Yoda was like, "I'm no good. I can just die now. I don't. You know, I, I can rest my soul now because you've got the Force. You found your inner power. I don't need to to hold up the fort. It's all yours now, Luke. It's kind of the same thing, you know. Right. He fought back his, his demons, so to speak, and became a more expansive and a wise person. And so that that's kind of what happened. In, in 2008, it, but it didn't stop. So in 2008, I, uh-huh. I, I uh, you know, 
graduated, and then you have to, you know, do a, a, a take a few uh, state licensing exams to become a licensed psychologist. So after that, you know, it's a, how, it's a leap. Dr. From, Davis, from, how did you uh-huh. prepare for those tests, and what what are those tests exactly? Oh. For our so listeners yeah, who might be thinking about becoming psychologists, mm-hmm. um, just so that they know, you know, you discussed a whole lot about your academia and you, how to set those patterns in your your study hours, and just to really have those mentors and just that that passion and that will to do something, especially at your level now. After you get your your after you go through the education, there's still additional. Uh, requirements that you must meet. What are yeah, those? How did you prepare yeah, for them? Right. So the two, there's typically, for, to be a therapist, whether it's a psychologist, a social worker, or even like a psychiatrist, there's typically two exams you have to take. One's a national exam that every psychologist takes. Um, and then there's an exam, a state exam that focuses, one focuses on like all the content, like, you know, child development, schizophrenia, uh, organizational psychology. There's a little bit of statistics. So it's kind of like a broad exam that covers about eight domains. And then you pass that one. And then you take a state exam that's specific to California, what are the different laws on reporting child abuse, you know, on confidentiality. You know, on, you know, if someone's suicidal, how do you respond to that? You know, mm-hmm. how do you respond to someone in a crisis? So it's more specific to the California laws. Both of them are multiple choice. Uh, they're on a computer. Um, and, you know, both of them, both of them require one, one exam is roughly 250 items, the first exam. The other one's 100 items. And so the pass rate, um, isn't so good for either, so you, you have to really study. So the pass rate's about 60%. So for every 10 people that take it, maybe four don't pass. So that was in my head. And when you don't pass, you have to wait like six months to retake it. And so it kind of prolongs your, your, your you know, your professional trajectory. So, you know, I, I just got with one other person who was taking it with me and just, um, so part of my regimen was just, you know, to set a schedule, a realistic schedule. Because it's not the kind of test where you can uh, cram. study cram. Oh no, no, it's not that kind of test. You have to say I'm studying for three months for two hours a day, like incrementally, and you just digest the information. You read over books, you quiz each other, you write index cards. So I did that. I was literally in the Whole Foods in Oakland. I was there every day for two hours for three months straight, just studying mm-hmm. over in that little that little lounge area. Right. Right, over there, way yeah. to the left if you're looking, <laughs> actually way to the right if you're looking at the street, right? There it is. Yes. And then I still was getting that moral support from my mentors, like, hey, man, this is something. And for once, this is something that they hadn't done. So it was re- I was really at a crossroads because usually they could say, oh, I did that. Let me show you yes. how to do this. So they were like, you know what, on this one, it's, it is really kind of like that Luke Skywalker moment, like I can't. Yoda believes that I can't help you. You got to figure this, this. This is your journey. I did my journey, but now mm-hmm. your journey is, is unique and specific to you. So, so they both were like, "Look, you're, what you're doing is above and beyond me. I encourage you to go talk to a, a, a kind of a uh, get another mentor, uh, uh, maybe a psychologist who's been through it, you know." And so, lo and behold, another mentor's name is Lowell, Lowell Cooper. Probably got to give him kudos because he's a What's mentor. Up, you know, and he's a psychologist, and he was like, hey, while you're studying, 
I'm, I'm going to be retiring in the next year and a half. Why don't you kind of like take over my practice? Why don't you move into my office? Are you kidding me? Man, like you, you, you know, golden, silver spoon, whatever the term, terminology is, he just laid it out for me. He's like, look, wow. I can help you. And then he's like, why don't, for the first year, why don't um, we meet every week and set up uh, like a, a consultation where you bring in cases, you know, some of the hmm. patients you're working with, and I can help you, you know, where you have blind spots or help you think through them and, and help you treat them better, you know, and you're going to be an ultimate, you know, the best psychologist you can be. And, and he can help me with the test. Give me this because he, he knows about the test because he took the test, mm-hmm. you know, both of those tests. So he's like, oh, no, you got it. You got it. And every time I have some self-doubt, he's like, look, he's like, I don't see a lot of evidence Almost for there. failure, you, you know, you know. And so that was kind of what he, he always said, you know, what he said, whenever someone's doubting themselves, you know, ask them to provide evidence you know, about their self-doubt, and, and I didn't have any. So I, I might come in and say, I'm not going to pass. And he's like, provide me evidence that you failed in the past academically, and I couldn't provide him. And he's like, well, that, see, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's what we call it, irrational fear. You know, you don't have any evidence of failure in your past or currently. So what, what would make you think you would fail? It's all in your mind. It's in your head, you know. So we went through rounds, rounds and rounds of that, and he would just push me like, "When you, when you gonna sign up for the exam?" Oh, I think you're studying too much now. It's kind of a point uh, when you study, you could overstudy and get kind of burnt yes. out. He's like, he's like, "Take it right now." I think you'll pass it, and yeah, I passed it in 2011. Um, became licensed, and, and once you're licensed, you're 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 you're, you're you kind of run your own show, but. Um, because I know how important mentorship is, I still meet with him uh, monthly just to go over, just to check in, talk about professional development, think about ideas about my practice. And he's retired, but I still uh, meet with him for consultation on difficult situations. So it's it, it's back to that mentorship again. I see. Right back to that again. So I'm noticing, it, you know. right, Dr. Davis, I'm noticing a pattern in your story it it just seems that whatever environment that you were in, you were reaching out to mentors or mentors that seen something to in you. You were connecting with them, you know, at that stage of your life or wherever you were at that time period. That that they help bring you up to the next level of where you were. It was always in the field that you were in, right? It didn't seem to me, from what I'm hearing, that they were outside. Like you didn't have like you know uh, a businessman as a mentor. You actually had a educator as a mentor. Now with right. uh, with Lowell, he's actually a, a businessman who happened to be a psychologist in that field exactly. as your mentor. So I I think what I'm getting from that is that if you do have mentors, you want them to be related to where you want to go, right? You don't want a basketball, like, you know, basketball person that don't really know anything about the field that you're in kind of mentoring you. But like you did say with uh, Kenji, although he was was in academic, he was at the college, he had a he he had a, a, a emotional connection with you and seen something, so he gave you that strength and helped you deal with everything emotionally, which is very good. But then on the other side, there was Tim, 
who had that tangible experience, has been through all of those stages, that's basically telling you, here's the path, you can take it, it's easy for you. So, right. But I, I, what I'm really getting from here is that you really, you have mentors that's in that field, just like you and I. You were a mentor for me and still is, I would like to say, um, in academia. And that, right. and, and that was make, make that connection even stronger. So you want right. a mentor that has been down that road before. I listen to a lot of other talk radios and I have uh, satellite radio, and I listen to this one show um, on Saturdays, and it's, he's a financial advisor, right? So the financial advisor says, you know what? If you want to become a millionaire, let's just say, you don't want anyone that's like a thousandaire kind of guiding you to become a millionaire, right? You want to talk to another millionaire, and that millionaire will give him you his perspective on how to get to where he is. Right, so, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So so that that's great. I'm glad that I made that connection, and I'm hoping that our listeners, they're following along because this is some great, great, great information. And I think my theory of life is really learning from others' experiences, right, or learning from your own experience. So once again, everyone, you're listening to The Rabbit Hole, and today we have my dear friend, my mentor, Dr. Frank Davis, a Bay Area psychologist, and he's basically taken us along his life path to where he is today as a psychologist. Dr. Davis, what specialty um, do you focus on? So I focus mostly on what's called clinical psychology, and so what that means is you actually, you're a clinician, a practitioner, you treat people. People come in um, and say, I'm depressed, or, hey, I'm grieving, I just lost a parent, I lost a child, uh, I'm dealing with a trauma, you know, I get adults that come in that way, or you get in couples that say, hey, we just had a, we just had a, a newborn, we don't know what we're doing, we're not as connected, and, you know, we lost our intimacy because we had a newborn, you know, so there's those kinds of issues, or I might get a referral from the court, a social worker that says, hey, this kid um, was abused and somewhere neglected, and that, that you know, he, he, he was in foster care, and he just got adopted, and... Um, we would like for you to work with this kid and family on a weekly basis to help them um, integrate, get to know each other, and to deal with whatever obstacles might come their way. So a range of issues, but typically I'm treating something, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, you know, those kinds of things. You know, I work in Berkeley, so I get a lot of students who are like, hey, you know, I've been a straight-A student all my life, and I'm getting these migraine headaches, and you know, I'm having these bouts of tears. I'm, I'm binge drinking. You know, it could be a range of issues, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm, I'm typically people come in with a condition or some kind of st- level of stress, and I'm trying to help them relieve that stress by, you know, talking about their emotions, talking about their past, you know, giving them tools, problem solving, giving them tools to deal with things, to confront people, to step into their power, so to speak. You know, so I'm doing. I do a lot of that, and then I also work in the courts, um, and that's that's more that's called forensic psychology, mm-hmm. and there's different areas. So the area I work in is family law, so so parents who are divorced who have a difficult time post-divorce getting along, and so I work with families. Um, they get referred to me by the courts, and I, I typically write up a report uh, for the judge to make a decision, uh, to, to help the judge make a decision basically as to 
you know, who the kids should stay with and how much. Because some, some parents get really embroiled in like a high conflict situation yeah. and, you know, no, they can't communicate. So a judge will say, oh, Frank or Dr. Davis, write up a report. Tell me what's in this kid's best interest. How, how much should he be staying with mom versus dad or, you know, with parent A versus parent B, you know, um, you know, give us an analysis and give us your expertise on that. So that I do mainly those two things, forensic psychology and clinical psychology. Quick question. When you're dealing with those scenarios where the court appoints you to kind of go into, you know, two parents that's in some kind of high conflict and they have a kid in the middle, how 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 do you filter? I, I, I don't know. How do you how do you deal with something like that? If You know, you can see that both parents have, you know, love for the kid, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I would think that that would be very difficult um, right. to kind of That's determine that and then come up with some kind of report uh, for yes. a judge to make his decision. Right. That's a that's a great observation because the, the cases are complex. And um, what we're taught in that field is like you have to really keep your own biases in check. So, you know, I have to, there's all kind of biases. Maybe there's something about the mom. Um, that I, you know, that I favor, you know, maybe I think, oh, maybe she's the, the, the more, the, the better parent, you know, or the more capable parent, but I have to say, okay, where is that coming from? Is that, is that some kind of bias? Do I not like the dad for some reason or, or vice versa? So, so what you have to do is there's a lot of literature on how to keep your biases in check and how to be objective so you don't lose your perspective. And then also it's, it's back to the mentorship to find another uh, psychologist or it, the, the actual term is called a custody evaluator. You have to find another seasoned person in the community to have to have consultation with. And he or she will kind of kind of run their checks and balances on your report to see, oh, you know, hey, Dr. Davis or hey, Frank, this area looks a little weak or you know, I, I think you're you're putting too much emphasis on the mom right now, and maybe you're overlooking some things with dad. You know that 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 kind of thing. So it, it's still back to the mentorship. I might as well say another one. So um, Rhonda Borowski is another mentor. I've met her more recently, in about 2008, and she's a a, a social worker, a licensed social worker. So she does therapy too, and she's a custody evaluator. So I I went to a conference. Uh, very similar to how you and I met. I went to a conference in Pleasant Hill in 2008. We kind of our paths just kind of crossed each other. And she's like, "Hey, you look new here, and what are you trying to do?" I said, "I'd like to become a custody evaluator. I don't know if I'll be able to do it." And she was like, "Just with confidence, sure you can. Why can't you? I did it. <laughs> you're gonna need you're, you're you're gonna need help. And here's how I can help you." And I was mm. kind of taken aback, like, "Wow, you, you helped me." For what reason? And she's like, and she's the one who taught me. Well, you know, I get something out of helping people. Uh, it's not just a one-way street where the the mentee is receiving all the support, and you know, in, in this in this particular way. So she's like, by giving back to to younger mental health professionals who want to do court work, work in the courts. She's like, that makes her feel good. And so we developed a relationship. And she's like the main person who I rely on. Um, for, for doing the court, the custody work, um, she, she's always got my back, and she, she's really objective. She, she gives me constructive criticism. I, I really appreciate that. She, she's not just, mm-hmm. all, oh, let's, just, let's be nice. And, and yes. extremely, she's like, if something doesn't look good in my report, she's going to say, you know, I don't like the way you wrote that, or this seems inconsistent. 
And I really right. appreciate that, you know. And so that's what I've learned from her is, you know, to be real and, you know, that you can express your feelings in a mentor-mentee relationship, you know, around, you know, the, a work product. And it's, it's, it's actually a healthy thing, you know, to say, like, hey, this doesn't look, hey, Shane, you know, this this report, you know, I don't know, if, I don't know if, I wouldn't submit that to a teacher. You might not get a grade on that. You know, that's, yes. that's really important, too, to get that constructive criticism. Constructive criticism, feedback. Um, yep. And you, in, in your mentors, you just don't want them to gash you. And you know what? That that looks great. I would have wrote the same thing, but it is really right. important for them to be real about the situation and, you know, give you, uh, you know, honest feedback. Because if right. they're mentoring you, right, they want to make sure that you're 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 on the right path, that you're hitting all the correct notes, and even when you don't hit those right notes, they want to just pop you on the hand just a little bit to let you know that they are they are still they still have your best interests in mind, and that you can do you can do better. So right. go for it. Yes, and, right. and that's that's what you need. That, that that's right. wonderful. So shouts out to Rhonda as well, and, and, and this is this is a great conversation because it sounds like you have like a whole team of mentors behind you, Frank. I mean, Doctor Davis. That's it. And that's, that, that's it. wonderful. Yeah, and it, it wasn't until more recently, the last few years, that I was like, you know, I need to start doing this. I was kind of doing it subconsciously. I was like, you know, and it wasn't until until I started said, hey, you know, there's, there's something happening here. I got to. My wife was like, "Oh, you know, you got a really good support system around you." Yes. And I was like, "Oh, okay. I, I need to make this more explicit now." And so when I mentor other people, they, they when they ask me how they made it, you know, the first thing I, I just was talking to a young lady before I was talking to you today, before I got on the phone with you, who just got her master's degree from JFK University mm-hmm. in Pleasant Hill, and she wants to be a community college counselor. And I was like, "The first thing you got to do." Is identify who your who your circle of, who who your circle of care is who's in that who's in that and so what I mean what I was telling what I mean by that is you know who is going to be willing to give you some time some quality time to invest in you you know and so she started thinking you know and I told her I said it doesn't have to be a, a bunch of people it's more about the quality you don't have to have twenty people you, if you have three people who are really good and give you that quality time you're going to be successful. Right now, I don't see my hunch is that everyone who's successful has that. Like you know, um, I know Martin Luther King had it. I know Obama's got an, a couple of inner circles to deal yes. with to deal with all, the, all all those trials and tribulations and those challenges. You know, the more intense or the more responsibility you have in a job, I think the more and the more profound or the the more invested you have to be in developing a circle of care. And some people you can see once a week. Some of those mentors you're going to see once a month. Some you might see once a year. Some you might just have to FaceTime with or email, but you have to have that, you know. Now, Dr. Davis, that, that brings up a great point here. How if, if, if you're a person like myself, I'm a very introverted type of guy, what would you propose as a good strategy to identifying a mentor? Because mentors are already there. They're already there, people who we know. You know, they're not always people we have to go seek out like it. So hypothetically, if I was in the corporate world, you know, one might think, oh, I have to go find a corporate person at yes. some point and, and identify this person. And sometimes those people, I call them the superstar folks, it's hard for them to be mentors because they're, they're, they're usually occupied and everyone kind of wants them. 
Right. Uh, what, I, what I encourage people to do is to get the, the like, you know, don't go for the Kobe or the Jordan or the Magic Johnson. You know, go for go for the, the, the maybe the second best guy or gal on the team as your mentor because a lot of times they're better mentors than coaches because they, right. they see they see situations very differently. If, if you get that the CEO of a company, it's going to be really hard to, to have a mentor relationship, a really intimate one with frequent contact because they're always going to be so busy and they might be inattentive and you're going to feel like, well, dang, you're going to feel like, oh, you know, I'm, maybe I'm a burden on this person. He doesn't even want to really be around me or she doesn't want to be around me. So, again, it's, it's like you have to get those people who are kind of um, maybe I shouldn't say more humble, but, again, they just have a, an availability about them. Um, and you'll know that right away when you set up that first meeting and they say, oh, I can meet with you, and they call you back, as opposed to when you when you have a mentor who says, oh, okay, and he or she's always canceling on you right. or, or, or rescheduling. It's not personal, but that person might not be ready for mentorship. That person might feel like they either obligated to do it in some way, but, but they're really not. They're not able to. And the same goes for me. There's been people who have approached me. Um, during different during different points in my life, and said, "Hey, I want to I want you to be my mentor." And I have to be really honest and say, "Look, like you know, I got right now I got two kids, and I'm starting my private practice, and I'm busy. And right now, I wouldn't be the it would be a disservice to you if I was your mentor because you're going to leave every meeting feeling unheard, unappreciated, neglected. So why don't you find someone who's more available? And, and then when I'm more available, I'll say, you know, this is this this is great." And it's those little things when people call you right back, they text you. The little subtleties you have to kind of be assessing when you pick a mentor. But if someone you call and they and they either say I'm going to call you back and they don't call, or if they don't respond for a weeks or two or three weeks, that's that to me that's that's not a really a, that's not a good mentor relationship, especially when you're first starting kind of your career or you're new. You know, when you kind of got you're up and running, you can maybe you know, deal with a mentor who you see once or twice a year. But most of us need our hands held at the beginning and you need yes. more frequent contact. So you got to look out for those, you know, those, those early signs of, I guess, how responsive they are. You know, I yes. guess that's, that's what I'm trying to say. You, you know what? And, and the best analogy I can think of here is, like you said, you don't want to probably go for the, the Kobe or the Jordans. You probably want to go ahead and find a mentor like in uh, Stephen Curry, right back like five there years ago when he just came on yeah. to the Warriors, where he probably was on the bench a whole lot behind Monte, and you know he had a little bit more time to spend, but he was also I, at that time developing his craft, you know, reading and learning and studying to become the player that he is today. So you probably want to find some play somebody like that, someone to do great things themselves. And maybe that person right there will be, have a lot more time to help you, you know, think through, you know, some of the issues or some of your challenges and give good, solid advice. Because you know what? They're, they're trying to get to the same place you're trying to get to. So like you mentioned earlier with you and Ruiz, um, just like your workout partner, but you had a academic partner. Let's go ahead and do the, this stuff together. And let's build right. off one another. Let's learn together and, and let's support one another, which is very, very, very important. And I, and I get that. And, and, again, we're talking to Dr. Frank Davis. He's a Bay Area psychologist, and he's just given us some great, great information um, about his experience as a psychologist, 
Um, and then also about mentoring. The message of today is mentoring, and he's given some solid information on how to find your mentors, how to communicate with your uh, mentors, how to seek those mentors out. Coming back to you, uh, Dr. Davis, you had mentioned earlier that there's not a whole lot of African Americans in psychology. Mm-hmm. And one of the main purposes behind the rabbit hole is to really identify um, professionals in these in these areas, in these environments, um, who are minorities or African Americans that represent a very low percentage of that particular workforce at a high level, of course, right? So I know for a lot of us, it's challenging to be in these environments and, you know, trying to find connections. Going right. back to you, how, how have you found your voice in a profession that's dominated by, you know, other cultures? Right. So it goes back to, um, right back to your mentorship. So there's a few other people that, um, so one is um, a gentleman named uh, Philip Coleman. He's another psychologist that from the beginning of uh, my road to uh, getting into psychology, he, 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 he's been there. So, so from about 1998, which is when I started JFK, till now I've seen him off and on for psychotherapy. So here, here's how it works. When you become a psychotherapist or a psychologist, you have to also have an experience of, you know, sitting on the other side of the chair, so to speak. So, if, if you know, you get this privilege, you get training, you get licensed to, to, to analyze people to help them, you know, with their problems. But part of the requirement in graduate school is you have to also be seen by someone to make sure your mental health is in check. So you can't, you can't be wounded. You can't be wounded. Yeah, you can't be wounded. And, and <laughs> you know, and, and, and expect to be able to be effective helping someone else. So in grad school, I was like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. But I was like, you know what? That, that's kind of hypocritical. Here I am. I want to be a therapist, and I want to see people, and I don't want to be seen to talk about my, my vulnerabilities. Wow. So I just, I just, like, got on the Internet one day and just typed in Black Psychologist Oakland. Bam. Yes. Philip, Philip Coleman came up. We hit it off. It, it was, you know, I, I, I had a few names listed. One guy, didn't, one guy didn't call me back. Another guy was kind of rude on the phone. And then the, the third person was Philip Coleman. He's like, come in. Bam, we hit it off. And so off and on for most of my the graduate school and beyond in my professional life, I've seen him during difficult periods of my life. Mm-hmm. But, but just, by, just by seeing him, forget the words coming out of his mouth, it was just important for me to see a black male psychologist. That's it. Someone else, someone else who's done this, who's gone to grad school, who you know, who works in a field where where, where we might be less than three percent of the, po- the the population, you know. And so, you know, and then talking about different things like what do you do when you're a black psychologist and someone says this or, you know, a lot of times people, I think with the internet craze, it's a little bit different now. But I know with with him, with Dr. Coleman. He would get people that would come to his office and go, "Oh, I'm looking for Dr. Coleman." He's like, "Well, I, uh, yeah, I am Dr. Coleman," because right. people people would assume Phil Coleman maybe was a white dude, you know, that or that he wasn't black for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, all those little experiences you have to you have to be able to to deposit them somewhere, and sometimes you do it with friends or family. But you know, 
your friends and family can only do so much because they, they might not be able to relate or they, they're dealing with their own issues. So you have to find other professionals that can uh, do that um, for you and, and really kind of contain you. And, and so there's, there's other, there's smaller groups of consult, you know, consultation groups in the Bay Area that I've been a part of, like, you know, clinicians of color group, for example. And you just go in every week and talk about particular racial issues that might come up in your work with your clientele. You know, maybe you were at a training and somebody said something culturally insensitive to you, you know, or if it wasn't directed at you, it was kind of in the air and no one did anything about it. So you, you got to have that contain, you got to have that containment and that support or else you're not going to last, you know, especially in, in the field of psychology. Because there's not that many black men, for sure. You brought up a inter- you, you said something that was very interesting. When you decided that, you know what, you will be the guy in the chair, and you wanted to go ahead and select an uh, African-American male, does that make a difference? Say, you know, my wife and I, we want to go see someone just to talk about, you know, our, our, our marriage. Would you say that it would be beneficial for us to talk to another African-American um, psychologist versus someone else of another um, race? I would say it's important. I would say it's an, definitely an important factor, which doesn't mean that, you know, a non-black therapist can't be effective with, with black clients. But I think there's just a level of, uh, you know, them being familiar yes. and kind of a, a level of, you know, them being able to relate and understand issues that someone else from a different race or culture might not um, be privy to or aware of. Now, the, all the other things have to be there, too. They still have to be professional. They yes. still have to be cordial. It's not just like, oh, go see this person. It's professional that's cordial, that's responsive, that has integrity, and they happen to be African-American, then, then, then you're getting the cream of the crop treatment, you see. Without a doubt. And, 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 that, and that's, that's great, and that's important to know um, because, like you said, it's that shared experience. That's good information. Uh, once again, uh, Dr. Davis, thank you, thank you, thank you again. We're getting to the point in our show where I want to go ahead and shift gears a little bit. I'm just, okay. Just, I want to go ahead and talk about the future the future of your field. So a hundred years from now, the future is for your field. Yeah, good question. Uh, let's think about that. I think, um, well, there will be a push for what they call telecare, and I already see it with some people. People call me saying they want to Skype for therapy. Um, they want to, you know, teleconference for therapy. I think there could be added benefit, but I, I think with the field of psychology, um, I think the in-person, it's going to be hard to replace that in-person um, dynamic and, the, the, you know, what, what one gets from, you know, being able to emote or be vulnerable or angry in some way and have a person, a, a calm, sensitive, nurturing person, you know, there to to witness that i think that's that it, it's going to be impossible to replace that so i think that'll stay i do think there'll be more you know um internet based or social media based uh therapeutic services mm-hmm. um and i think um medication uh, will still be here to to stay um as well and so i think it'll stay the same for the most part particularly the, the in person piece I don't think that'll change. 
I think it's going to be hard to, to push away the, 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 you know, the psychotropic medication piece, which does help quite a few people. Um, mm-hmm. I personally think people get over-medicated in, in particular situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might not You're have talking about like with stuff like Prozac and... Prozac, like... ADHD, certain forms of schizophrenia. You know, a lot of people um, are just kind of over-medicated. Uh, and, and they might, a lot of people, it's not always the, the clinician um, who's pushing it. Sometimes people just, you know, it's, 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 it's easier just to say, if I don't feel good, let me just take a pill. Um, because, you know, it, it takes a long time to get to know a therapist and trust him or her and to, um, to be vulnerable and express my emotions, which is also curative. You know, it'd be good if people could do a combination of both. You know, but um, I think the um, the medication piece is here to stay. I do feel confident that there will be more people of color in the field. Yes, I kind of see that happening slowly but surely. I think that's I think that 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 will be another big piece. Is that you know I think initially it started out with you know mostly psychology and psychiatry was mostly dominated by white men. Yes. And kind of that transition to there's a lot more women in the field, white women and now women of color. And Mm -hmm. then now there's other, you know, marginalized populations. You know, there's a a lot more men of color in the field. There's a lot more um, lesbian and gay therapists, transgender therapists. So there are more um, people from the margins of society coming into the field which will help people who, you know, if we just look at a lot, a lot of black folks I know, there's a stigma about going to see a mental health. Oh, I'm not, I'm not crazy, you know, and so I think a lot of yeah. those stigmas are being broken down partly because there's more people of color in the field. And I, and I think so, that's so true because this is one of the reasons why I wanted to create this platform, to get firsthand the knowledge from African-Americans, minorities in these fields to let our listeners know that you know what if I if I can do it, you can do it too. And most importantly, like you just said, Doctor Davis, that we need more of you here. So basically, here right. is the pathway: get your education right, uh, take these type of classes, or get into these type of programs, take these uh, certifications. You know, find mentors in your your specific areas. You know, study set those uh, good metacognitive. Um, patterns within yourself uh, to learning and setting up positive patterns to um, actually studying and continue pushing forward. And then, you know what, there is definitely a place for us all in the future. We only have like eight minutes left. I I know we allocated like an hour. What I like to do, Dr. Davis, is switch up gears a little bit and just ask you some, you know, more fun, more personalized questions that I ask all my guests. Like, for instance, Uh what's your favorite snack? What's my favorite snack? Yes, sir. Oh, it's, oh, let me. That's a lot. I would say beef jerky, turkey jerky. Take that back. Yes. Turkey jerky from Trader Joe's. From Trader Joe's in a yellow pack, right? Yes. <laughs> like a mustard color pack. Yeah. yeah it is quite tasty. Um, right. What's your favorite part of the day? Favorite part? I'm, a, I'm definitely a morning person. Morning, I get up early. Even if I go to bed at 12 midnight, I'm, I'm up usually around 6 o'clock. My mind, my mind is most clear and less cluttered in the morning. I can focus better in the morning, early morning. Yes. What's your favorite technology or application? 
my favorite technology these days, I'm, I'm just getting into, because I work with a, a lot of adolescents, and so I'm always up on the new whatever, because they're, they're up on all the new electronics and social media stuff. So what I really like now is Spotify. Spotify, you the know? music uh, application. Yeah, because yeah, music is like, music is therapeutic to me, and I play it all the time and different different types of music and so spotify you, you know you pay 10 bucks for an account and they have a wide a really really wide range of music and so that's what impressed me and um you know right when i get in my office i have one of those little portable bose speakers that mm-hmm. has a wireless uh, a bluetooth connection right and con- connected to my phone and i depending on what kind of mood i'm in i, I, I might play jazz one day if i'm, if I'm feeling like i need to you know, uh, if I'm feeling really challenged or threatened, I'm, I might play some Tupac one morning. You know, I might I might play instrumental, you know, something instrumental. You know, the sounds of the ocean. You know, crashing against the waves, crashing against you know the you know the sand. And so sometimes it, it just it just depends. But I really like Spotify. Can you describe Afrofuturism? Afro Afrofuturism. I don't yes, think sir. I've heard that term before. Are you serious? Afro, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not familiar with that term, actually. Afrofuturism. Afro, yes, sir. This, this, whatever you think it might be. You know, you're you're a very deep thinker. I, I think you might come up with something that's uh, pretty good. Got it. Yeah, let me think about that. So, oh, to me, if I really thought about Afrofuturism, it probably has something to do with um, anything that. Um, any creation, any entity, any invention um, that at its essence, at its core, um, you know, has maybe uh, principles from um, African peoples in some way. So it could be whatever it is, it's maybe I could kind of like almost like a movement or an outlook, um, but more in a, like a, a more positive way, you know. Any creation, any 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 philosophy, any thought that has at its roots uh, um, something that came from people of African descent—that's the kind. That's kind of what I would think of it as. Right, right. And then that futurism piece, all of that of what you just said in the future. Right. Exactly. So that's and that's what I mean by kind of like outlook. You know. So it's kind of looking at things yes. in a certain way. Yeah. Once again, uh, Dr. Frank Davis, um, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a, a great friend. Um, You're welcome. A, a mentor um, and for your, your time today by blessing us all with your, with your wisdom, um, with your great advice. Um, and then also, let, let again, let's send out shouts to all your mentors and Randy, Whoa. Tim, Kinsey. Kenzie, Rhonda, and Philip. Yep, those have been kind. There's probably some other ones in there yes, as well, but those are, those are the major players in the game. Those those four or five people. Doctor Davis, how can folks who's listening to this podcast uh, reach you? Oh, they can just call me. They can go to um, the number. It's easy to reach me. Is five one zero four nine six three four seven zero. That's my um, my office number. Anyone can call that. And then if they go to uh, it's a popular website called Psychology Today, mm-hmm. they can go there and just 
and the certainly go to the website www.psychologytoday is one word dot com. Again, www.psychologytoday.com and type in Frank Davis. They can get me that way. They can go to LinkedIn, same thing, type in Frank Davis. Or they can go to Google and one of those two two profiles will come up. You can just go type in Google Frank Davis PhD. Boom, I'll be the first or second person that comes up. Okay. Get away as well. That's that's perfect. Perfect. Oh, and lastly, uh, they, yes. can, they can go to Dr. Frank Davis at att.net. It's dr. Frank Davis at att.net. Perfect. So there you have it, folks. We have Dr. Frank Davis. Feel the need to reach out to him. Definitely reach him on those email addresses, those phone numbers, and through the internet, as he described. He, he's, a, he's a legit guy, and, and 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 I'm sure that you gather from this conversation that he's very uh, passionate about what he does. Mm-hmm. My name is Shane here. Thank you again. I want to go ahead and end the uh, the conversation off with a quote. My wife actually gave me this today. The delicate balance of mentoring someone is not creating them in your own image, but giving them the opportunity to create themselves. And that was a quote by Steven Spielberg. Until next time, everyone, be curious of life to discover new experiences and always envision yourself in the future. Thank you very much for listening to us on the Rabbit Hole Podcast. This is the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Peace. (laughs) With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.